Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. Today's guest speaker is Gordon Zerkowski, and the message is titled, Always Absolutely Secure. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. We've so enjoyed, my wife Joyce and I have so enjoyed our time here. The weather in Bakersfield is gorgeous in September, so we're thrilled with that. Uh, We live in the Chicago suburbs. I grew up in the city of Chicago, and uh, I'm assuming you're aware that there are no direct flights from Chicago to Bakersfield. You have to make an intermediary stop, which is fine. So uh, we flew out on Thursday mid-morning out of Chicago and went to uh, Phoenix, had a nice big jet aircraft going from Chicago to Phoenix. And then from Phoenix to Bakersfield, uh, we got on this little plane. Uh, you're probably familiar with the size of a plane this might be. It's got two seats on the one side and a tiny aisle, and then two seats on the left. So it's two, a small aisle, and then two seats on the right. So Joyce and I settled into our seats. Joyce on the window, and I'm in the aisle seat. We're next to each other. And directly to my left, this far away, is an enormous man. You got the Alvin, you got this enormous man, and another man right next to him on the window. And I could tell just by looking at him that he was a motorcyclist. Now imagine what a motorcyclist looks like, stereotypical, and that's what he looks like. Just an enormous man. He had the bandana on with the skull and crossbones, you know, he had tattoos up and down his arms and the t-shirt and the blue jeans and the boots and all of it, but he's riding in this airplane. And you may know that I like to ride my motorcycle. And I thought, well, this is a great opportunity for me to talk to this man and just check him out and see maybe there's an opportunity to talk to him about various things, maybe even about the Lord. So um, we, we had just taken off, and I leaned over to him, and I said, uh, do, you, uh, do you like your Harley? And it was as though I wasn't there. He just kept looking straight ahead. And I thought, oh, okay, this is a challenge. So I... I you know, remember, there's only like this much space between my seat and his seat. And so I leaned over right next to him. I said, do you, do you like riding your Harley? And he didn't answer. So I leaned over so I could look him right in the face, and I could see his eyes, and I could see the food in his mustache. No, he didn't have any food in his mustache. But if he did, if he did, I would have seen it there. I got pretty close to him. So I'm really close to him, and I'm leaning over, and I said, sir. I started calling him, sir, sir. And I thought, well, maybe he can't hear. Sir. So finally, his seatmate uh, leaned over to uh, the one on his left, and he leaned over and said, what is it? And I said, does he not speak? And he goes, well, I don't know. I, I thought he knew him, but he didn't know him. And so I'm, and he finally looked at me and he said, yes, I speak. <laughs> I said, great. How do, you like your, uh, how do you like your Harley? He goes, you ride. Now, remember, it's a study in contrast. He's a ruffian-looking guy, but not all Harley riders are ruffian-looking, but this particular one is kind of stereotypical. And I was kind of dressed like I am today. So he looked at me, and he thought, this guy doesn't ride a motorcycle. And I said, yeah, I ride. He said, what do you ride? So I started telling him about my Indian motorcycle, and I don't know if he was pleased or not, but we had this conversation pretty close together, and I was afraid for a moment I was going to get beaten up on this flight, and that would be a bad thing. But I didn't. We had a nice little conversation, and that was the end of it. But I was thinking about this after uh, the conversation, and I thought, what if if it was the Lord Jesus Christ sitting right next to me on that plane? And if I had looked at him and I engaged, tried to engage him in conversation, would he have responded as that man responded? No, he wouldn't have. 
And if I had leaned in to talk to Jesus, if he were walking around on this earth today, if I had leaned in to talk with him, would he have leaned back into me? Oh, yes, he would, almost certainly, unless I'm hiding from him or, or trying to uh, hide some horrible thing I've been doing. He will lean in to talk to me. Um, that's what I want to talk to you about as a principle of the relationship we have through the, Lord Jesus, through the Lord through his son, Jesus Christ, the triune God. Jesus is the logos of the Trinity. We lean into our relationship with him. Here's the principle I want to hope, I'm hoping you'll get today. Your close relationship with the Lord Jesus brings your greatest comfort and your greatest joy. Your close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ brings you your greatest comfort and your greatest joy. Promises. It's a promise. It will. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have no tribulation or trouble. The promise from the Lord himself said, you will have some tribulation, you will have trouble in this life. But be of good courage, I have overcome the world. We can lean into him in our difficulties. We're going to look at Psalm 91. If you have an electronic version of the Bible or a paper version of the Bible, open up uh, to Psalm 91. I'm sure if you don't have a Bible, we could provide one for you. Is that not so? If you don't have a Bible, just lift up your hand and we will get one to you. Psalm 91, as you'll see toward the end of the psalm, has many promises from God. These are pledges from God. You know, if God makes a promise, there's no way he's not going to fulfill it. If God makes a promise, he will do it. He promises us. It's like money in the bank of God. There's no way he's not going to do it. Listen to some of the promises that God makes from Psalm 91. It's a messianic psalm. It's true of the Messiah Jesus. This is a predictive messianic psalm, but it's also a, a comfort psalm, a trust psalm meant for each of us who know him through Christ. Here are some of the promises we're seeing in Psalm 91, and these are promises to each of us. Deliverance, rescue, security, satisfaction, his presence, his answers to prayer, honor, and the sight and experience of his salvation. So deliverance, rescue, security, satisfaction, his presence, his answers to our prayers, honor, and that we will see his salvation. Now those are really great promises, don't you think? But how does this work? How does the economy of God work so that these promises are realized in each of our lives and we can experience them? Not as though we can fit him into our schedule, but that he becomes a core person of relationship with us. Remember, your close relationship with the Lord Jesus brings you your greatest comfort and your greatest joy. Nothing in the world compares to the close relationship we can have to him. How does it work? Psalm 91 explains how this works. And it might not be as you expect. We're going to go there, but let's pray first. Father, we thank you for each person here. We thank you for a beautiful morning and we're thankful that your mercies are new every morning, and we delight in you today, Lord, and we are praying that uh, you would be pleased with us. We've worshiped in music and in song, and uh, we've gathered together as you desire, Lord. I pray that your word would go forth faithfully, and as we look at it, as we think about it, as we ponder it, that you would be great in our eyes, greater even than we understand at this moment. But through the teaching of your word, through the working of your Holy Spirit in the hearts of your people, Lord, I pray that Jesus would be glorified, that you would be pleased to call us your people. We ask this in the great name of our Savior, Jesus. 
This is a messianic psalm, as I've said, Psalm 91. It's a trust psalm meant for us. It's poetry. There's a lot of metaphors that say it's, it's this, it's that. It's a metaphor. But you'll see that as we go through it. I'm going to read the psalm, Psalm 91. Uh, it's 16 verses. I'll just read through it and follow along. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. First verse, Psalm 91. Are you with me? First verse of Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Second verse. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. I want you to notice there are four times, four times the psalmist writes one of God's names in the first two verses, four times. Most High is one name for God. Almighty, another name for God. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, personal name of God, Yahweh, his personal name, and my God, a personal relationship. Four times. Who is greater than the Almighty or the Most High? No one. It's a personal relationship we can have with the Lord, just like you have a personal relationship with the close people in your lives. That's what God wants, personal relationship. And my God, personal, again, he is the Almighty, the Great One. Isn't it interesting that in the first two verses, the psalmist writes four times who this God is that we're talking with. He is almighty, he is great, he is awesome, absolutely awesome. He's setting us up to understand what this God wants to do in our lives. He's talking to me and he's talking to you. He who dwells, he or she who dwells, remains, stays, staying there like a home in the shelter of the Most High, laying into the shelter of the Most High, will abide, which is similar to the word dwell, you're going to abide. Remember Jesus said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, he describes that in, in I think, John 15. Ask what you wish and it will be done for you. The assumption is, of course, you're so close to God that what you ask is going to be what God wants. You're not going to ask for things that he doesn't want for you. 
But he who lays himself into the shelter of the Most High, he abides in the shadow of the Almighty. I like that. I'm really excited about that shadow in the Almighty piece, that picture in this poem, Psalm, the shadow of the Almighty. I was riding my motorcycle once, going west. Um, from. I was out east visiting one of our churches, and I was heading west, and the sun was setting. It was low in the sky, and it was hot. It was really hot out. And the sun was setting. You know, when you're on a motorcycle, you don't have a visor like this. I, I don't have a visor to protect me. If I was in a car, I'd just put the visor down and I'd be fine. But when you're on a motorcycle, you have no kind of protection that way. You're just out there and maybe you have your sunglasses on, but the sun was so low and it was so bright and so hot, I was really uncomfortable. And I couldn't see very well, which is a very dangerous thing. So I couldn't, and I was on this four-lane road. It wasn't an interstate, but it was a big four-lane road. And so I was getting a little concerned. I thought, well, maybe I should just pull off the road and wait till the sun's below the tree line. But then I came upon a, an enormous semi-tractor trailer. And I noticed that when the trailer moved with the road, he cast a shadow to the left, to the right, and behind, depending on how the road was going. And I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll tuck myself into the shadow. And I was thinking about what that looked like and how I felt when I was tucked into the shadow. It was cooler, much more comfortable. I could see. I was much happier. But I was tucked into the shadow. And I thought, you know what this is like? This is like a minnow swimming next to a whale in the ocean. And then I thought, now you can do better than that. It's got to have a biblical principle. I, I'm trying to discipline myself to think of biblical principles instead of other principles that are fine. It is like a whale and a minnow. But for me, you see, I tucked myself into the shadow of the Almighty. And I was, as I was doing that, as the truck moved left, I followed the shadow. And as the truck moved with the road, I followed the shadow. I could see, I was comfortable, all was well. And I remember looking, uh, the truck driver could see me in this side view mirror. And he was noticing I was following the shadow, and he kind of smiled at me, and I, I smiled back at him. We had this relationship going on for quite a while until the sun went all the way down. But that's what, the, that's what this is like. That's what God's telling us to do is tuck yourself into the shadow of the Most High God. Remember, four times in the first two verses, he talks about how almighty he is. Dwelling in the shelter of the Most High, abiding, remaining, staying in the shadow of the Almighty God. There's no one like him. I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Remember, personal Mine, mine, I have a personal relationship with God, as should you through Christ. Mine, it's very personal, very touching. My refuge, why would you need a refuge? Why would you need a refuge of protection? Um, we have three grandchildren, two boys and one girl. And uh, you know how little kids bump into things? They'll fall down and bump their heads or they'll skin their knees or something. and um, They'll cry. Sometimes they'll run to me and they call me Papa. Papa, Papa, and they run. And uh, This is also true of our one-year-old granddaughter who doesn't talk yet, but when, when they hurt themselves, if they run to me or if I grab them and, and hold them, I'll tuck them into my arms and I'll say, it's okay, Papa's got you. Papa's got you. It's okay. You'll be okay. Maybe you saw a spider or whatever you did. It's okay, Papa. And I've got them right there in my arms. You see, that's what God's like. That's what he wants for each of us. You know, God gives us pictures like that in each of our lives. One of the reasons is so we can understand him better, so we can know his heart for us. If you've got children or grandchildren, you know what it's like to feel that way about your people, your people, your sons, your daughters, your grandchildren. There's a relationship that God wants like that for you with him. 
my refuge, my fortress. A fortress is obviously a fort. Now, why would you need a fortress? Or why would you need a refuge? Why would you? Because you've got trouble. Because there's trouble in this life. You see, if there were no trouble in this life, you wouldn't need a refuge. You wouldn't need any place to tuck yourself under. You wouldn't need a fortress to go in and hide or, or secure yourself so you're safe. Trouble is a promise. It's okay. Whether your health is an issue, whether your job or your relational situations or issues, run to the Lord in the shadow and in his arms as a fortress. The personal God who is almighty, he's the Lord Yahweh, he's most high. There's no one greater than him. Verse 3, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Now, this is interesting. He will deliver you. You're going to see a list, as we read, if you were paying attention. You saw the list of things that he will not allow or he will cause. Now, when he says, uh, when the psalmist writes in verse 3, he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, does that mean that I'm never going to get sick? Or does that mean I'm never going to be in trouble with a fowler or a trapper of birds? That's what a fowler is, a trapper, someone who sets up a trap. Remember, this is poetry language. He's using a metaphor so that we can understand what he's saying about who God is, what he wants, and our relationship with him. He's using pictures we can understand. There are people that set traps. There are fowlers that want to entrap you. Maybe Satan is doing that, or your own flesh, or the devil, or um, uh, the world is doing that for you. We have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. There are traps out there, but God says he will deliver us from the snare of the fowler. But it doesn't mean you're never sick. It doesn't mean you're never stuck. It doesn't mean you're never in trouble. I really appreciate the way the New American Standard translates it. Verse 3 says, for it is he who delivers you. In other words, if you get delivered from stuff, it's God who did it. It's not because your doctors are smart, even though they're smart. God gave you good doctors. God allows and causes progression in our culture and in our science because he's gracious to us. If you get delivered, it is God who did it. He is the one who delivered you. It's not a promise that you will never have trouble. The opposite's true. You will have trouble. But if he, if he brings you out of it to a safety that is free of illness or free of conflict, if he heals it, remember to give him the glory for it because it is he who delivers you. And even if he does not, you will see it in eternity. He will, he will either do it today or in this life or in eternity. He will do it. The promise is secure. He will do it when he's ready to do it, either in this life or the next. It's absolutely certain, and you can rest in that. Do you remember the account of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of uh, Daniel? There's this principle in Daniel that verifies what I'm saying. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Uh, Daniel served the king. He was a brilliant teenager, young man. Um, and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had set up this idol that he demanded that all the people worship at this idol. And the young men, teenagers, amazing young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they answered the king when he demanded that everybody must bow down and worship this idol he set up. And listen to their response. This is Daniel chapter 3, verse 17. He says, um, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar had said, if you don't worship this idol, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace. And he makes it twice as hot, in fact, so hot that the people who threw these guys in ended up getting burned up themselves. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, um, our God, whom we serve, 
is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Did you catch that? He is able, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Boy, that's disrespectful. But Okay, listen to verse 18. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king, in verse 18. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Wait a minute. He just said, they just said, he will deliver us. And then they said, but if not, let it be known to you, O king, that this is what we're going to do. This is what we're not going to do. You see, if God delivers us from trouble, give him credit for doing it. He doesn't promise that you won't get thrown into the fiery furnace. What he promises you is that either he will uh, cause you to survive that fiery furnace and be better than you were to demonstrate his own glory, or in eternity, you'll see it, you'll see justice done, you'll see that you will survive in eternity. That's an important principle to remember. If he delivers you, it's he who did it. As opposed to he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, the trapper. Verse, oh, the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence, the second half of verse four, or verse three rather. So what, guess what? We are always absolutely secure. The title of the sermon is always absolutely secure. No matter what happens, you know what? I'm always absolutely secure. You know that each of us is eternal? And no one can kill you in this life until when? Until God says, okay, Gordon, you're done now. Time to come to me. You see, no one can get rid of you or kill you unless God says, okay. Everything crosses his desk of approval, whatever it is in this life. And so you don't have to be afraid. You're always absolutely secure as you follow him. There's nothing better than that. Verse 4, he will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. Again, there's that refuge picture. He will cover you with his pinions. That's an unusual word, isn't it? Pinions. We don't say pinions much today. You know what a pinion is? It's a picture of a bird. A pinion, when you think of a large bird, a pinion goes from the bird's shoulder to a joint in the wing of the bird. It's closest in part. Not only will he cover you with the edge of his wing, he's got you right close. Don't worry. Your father's got you. As you walk with him and you don't run off from under his protection, he's got you. He will cover you, I promise, with, the pinions, with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. Remember Luke 13, when Jesus was lamenting, he was grieving over Jerusalem, and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have covered you like a, a mother hen covers her children with her wings. But you would not have it. You wouldn't let me do that for you. And they paid a price for it. Now, isn't it really neat? I love that Jesus uses a feminine description Jesus was a very masculine man, but he uses a feminine description to illustrate how he feels about his children, like a mother bringing her children close in for protection and comfort and care. That's the picture here. He will cover you with his pinions close in under his wings. You will find refuge in trouble, from trouble. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler well, a shield and a buckler, they're similar things. A shield is a, usually in the scriptures, a shield is a big shield, a large shield that oftentimes is uh, used from fighting, for fighting at a distance, protecting you from arrows and spears that were thrown. His faithfulness, faithfulness, he is faithful, it's, it's a shield. He's using a metaphor. Remember, we're talking about poetry. It's a shield, Help you understand. The writer wants us to understand. It's a shield. Now, a buckler was a small shield, more close in combat to easily remove when you're in close combat. That's what God is like to us. He covers both sides of the spectrum. 
And when we know these things, when we understand these things, when we embrace these things in our lives, what happens? In verse 5, therefore, this is what happens. You're not going to fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, the terror of the night, things you can't see. You ever wake up at night? I have. I imagine you have. And you have a sense of fear, a sense of dread, a sense of, oh my goodness, what if this happens? What if that happens? As we lean into God, you, God says you, that he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is set upon him. We need to set our mind upon God, his character, his goodness, his excellence, as verse 1 described and verse 2 described four times, his almighty nature, his personality, his personhood with us. You will not fear the fruit of that close relationship. You will not fear the terror of the night, things you can't see, but imagine, and you won't fear either the arrow that flies by day, the dangers that you can see, the arrows in this life that are out to get us. You're not going to fear them. You won't fear pestilence or disease, disease that stalks in darkness. It looks for us in the darkness to hurt us, to harm us. And you won't fear the destruction that lays waste at noonday, in the middle of the day. 24-7, 24 hours a day, as we lean into him, we rest in the pinions under his wings, and we understand his character and might. We don't have to fear. Um, We have four children, two boys and two girls. They're all grown now. Our son, Matthew, who's the second born, uh, he was born with a hole in his heart. And um, he's a beautiful little baby. And I, uh, the, but they said, well, he's got a hole in his heart. It was about, it was about the size of the, di- the diameter of a lead pencil. A tiny little hole, but that hole was in a bad place. So that when his heart functioned, you know, I don't understand physiology very well, but there's flaps and things going on in the heart. And that little hole, <coughs> excuse me, that little hole was going to cause problems for him over time. And they said, sometimes these things will close. The doctor said to me, sometimes these things will close, and sometimes they don't close. But we'll wait a few years and see what happens. And so we, we prayed, and we asked the Lord to heal him. No, well, he didn't heal him. And I was a not, not a happy man. Honestly, I wasn't happy with God. I thought, why, why are you doing this? If, they, if you don't heal him, Lord, they're going to have to do open-heart surgery. Now, in 1992, he was six years old. Um... We took him to the pediatric cardiologist, and he said, well, the hole's still there. It would be really wise if we did the surgery on his heart. And as I talked to the um, cardiologist and the surgeon, I asked a lot of questions. I I tend to ask a lot of questions. And I said, well, so what are you going to do to him? Well, you don't want to know what we're going to do to him. I said, no, I do want to know what you're going to do to him. I mean, if you were going to do something to my car, I'd ask, wouldn't I? I mean, how much more value is my son than my stupid car? I want to know what you're going to do to him. No, you don't want to know. No, I do. You tell me. So privately, they told me. They said, well, we're going to cut open his chest. We're going to cut through the bone of his chest. We're going to open up his chest. We're going to take his heart out of his chest. We're going to drain all of his blood. We're going to take the heart out of his chest. We're going to cut his heart open, and we're going to sew a patch on the internal portion of his heart that's got the hole. I said, oh. Really? My son's going to die. (laughs) It was horrible. And this went on for months. We had to wait to schedule the surgery, but we were convinced that we needed to do this. So the day came when the surgery was needing to be done. It was a long surgery. He was just a little six-year-old boy. And um, we brought him in late in the afternoon in December uh, for the surgery because you you come late in the afternoon, and then early in the morning at 5 a.m. they took him in for the surgery. And I was terrified. Now, it's okay to be terrified if the response to the terror is saying, God, I'm terrified, Help me. 
I'm not supposed to be terrified. I want to lean into you. I want you to listen to me. Would you please? I camped in Psalm 91 all night. Psalm 91 and Psalm 46, over and over. So through the night, as I was sitting, there was a lazy boy chair they had provided. And I was sitting there, and there was a a light that I had over my shoulder that didn't disturb Matthew from sleeping. But I I camped right next to his bed, and I had the light here, and his head was here. and, uh, And I just read this psalm over and over, along with Psalm 46. But Psalm 91 was my anchor point. And I was praying and asking God to heal my son and use these doctors in a remarkable way to fix this problem. Um, but I said, you know, even if you don't, I'll still love you. So Matthew went through the surgery, and he's fine. Uh, but several years later, he, all of a sudden, out of the blue, we were talking, and he said, hey, Dad, do you remember when I had open-heart surgery? I said, yeah, when was that again? I don't remember. So he said, yeah, I was kidding him, and he, he kind of smiled at me. And he said, yeah, I remember, you know, I, I, um, I remember going to sleep, and I was scared because I was in the hospital, but I woke up and I... I looked at you, and there you were, reading your Bible. I could see your face, and I could see the Bible. And you were reading. And I'd go to sleep for a while, and I'd wake up, and I'd look, and there you were again. So I went back to sleep. You see, you see what this I had no idea. I was so embroiled in the text, and I was calling out to God. But my son was waking up every now and then. And what was he doing? He was seeing if I was still there. And he was comforted by the fact I was still there. And he noticed that I was reading the Bible. And today he's got a daughter. And he loves Christ. He's married to a godly woman. You see, there's fruit that comes out of our trouble. He's fine. But boy, in that moment, it was horrible. You know, sometimes God uh, causes or allows things in your life that you would never want to go through again, but you would never trade the gold of the lesson that he gave to you because of the trouble you had. I would never want to go through that again, but he gave me gold as a result of that trial. And my son was, our son was uh, fine. You will not fear the terror by night. Now, let me ask you something. Was I sinning because I was afraid? You don't have to answer that. But I had to wrestle through that. Well, if I was really a godly man, I wouldn't have been afraid. If I was really a godly man, I I wouldn't be afraid of the arrow that flies by day or disease that stalks at night that wants to hurt us, my family and me, or the destruction that lays waste at noonday. You see, what it's saying is, look, if you're really close to God, this will be the fruit of your relationship. And I needed to learn. He needed to teach me how to lean into the relationship and not just depend upon my own ability or my own thinking that I understood who he was and is. He wants to teach us. He's a good father. That's available to any of us and each of us. Look at verse 7. Remember, if he delivers you, if you're delivered out of trouble, it's he who did it. It's no accident. If he delivered you, it's he who did it. And if he doesn't deliver you, you're going to see deliverance in eternity if you have Christ. A thousand, in verse 7, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. You will see in time the recompense of the wicked. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually in time, in this life or in the next. And if you want to check out that principle It's from Ecclesiastes 8, verse 11, which says that people sin because they think they're going to get away with it, essentially, because the the fruit of their sin is not necessarily immediately manifest. It's not necessarily immediately obvious. But in the end of it all, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes, who was King Solomon, Solomon said, in the end of it all, justice will be done. That's the principle of truth and time go hand in hand. 
You will see it, the recompense of the wicked. Verse 9. Because you, the psalmist is writing to someone else, and he's talking about another person now. Because you, my reader, the listener, you have made the Lord, Yahweh, your dwelling place. You stay with him. You abide with him. You're making him your place of, of refuge and strength. You have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge. He's my refuge too. You have made him in that place. You have welcomed him into that place. You don't have to. You don't have to. He wants you to. He welcomes you to where he will teach you and help you. Remember, your close relationship with the Lord Jesus brings you your greatest comfort and your greatest joy. A thousand may fall at your side. I'm sorry. Um, verse 9, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. As a result of that closeness, no evil will be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Does that sound familiar? Remember we said it's a messianic psalm? The psalm talks about the relationship of the Messiah to his Father in heaven when, he, when Jesus walked around on the earth. Remember uh, uh, Matthew 4, 5 through 7, when Jesus was being tempted by Satan? Satan used this text against him or tried to use it against him, saying, um, why don't you jump off this building, you know? Show yourself to be the Messiah because, you know what, he's going to command his angels concerning you and uh, you're not going to strike your foot against a stone. And so Jesus answered him with Scripture. Attacked by Satan, twisting the Scripture, as he does to us, and we are to answer as Jesus did through the Scripture. Jesus said, well, you don't, you don't put your Lord to the test. In other words, don't do stupid things and expect the Lord to necessarily bail you out. I'm not going to jump out onto the freeway and dare the Lord to rescue me from getting hit by a car. I'm not going to jump off the roof of a building and dare the Lord to, to uh, save me from damage or injury. I'm not going to do that because God says, I'm not, don't put me to the test, boy or girl. Don't do that. That's foolishness. Jesus had the answer, don't do that. But see, it's a messianic psalm, as I said a few times now. He will command his angels concerning the Messiah and us to guard us in our ways. And they will bear us up lest we strike our foot against the stone. We can have confidence in danger. Verse 13, look at this. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion, the serpent, you will trample underfoot. Now, remember, metaphor and poetry. Is he saying that we should go ahead and jump on a lion's back when we go to the zoo? Or should I look at an adder? An adder is a snake, a viper, should I just fool around with snakes that are poisonous? Well, no, that's not what he's saying. This is a picture. The adder is an interesting word, and the closest word to it, as I said, was snake. But, you know, in the Middle East, in the, in the area of Israel, there's a, a, a snake called the black uh, cobra. And the cobra, you've seen king cobras when they rear up their heads, they've got that hood. The king cobras can be about 17 feet long. They are among the most poisonous snakes in the world. It's interesting that the, the Lord uses the word Cobra, most literally, or adder, which is among the most dangerous snakes. You get bitten by a cobra, whether it's the kind that's found in the Middle East or the king cobra found in India, for example, you could be dead within 10 minutes. One bite from one of these cobras will kill an elephant. One bite will kill an elephant. 
One bite could kill 15 to 20 people within a half hour. One bite. It's the volume of the venom they spit as they bite. They inject their venom into you. The most dangerous of snakes. And he uses that picture and said, you're going to walk on the lion, the king of the jungle, right? You're going to walk on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent, again, the snake, you will trample underfoot. The Messiah fulfilled that serpent piece, by the way, when he crushed the head in, in, uh, in his agony. It was a promise from Genesis. Listen to verse 14. This is God talking in verse 14. It, this begins God's words, his very words coming out in his, in his speech. Quote, the Lord says, Because he, the Messiah, us, each of us, if we know Jesus and we live for him, because he holds fast to me in love, there's a longing relationship we can have with him, close. He says, I, I see that woman, I see that man, that person holds fast to me because he loves me. I have this relationship. I'm going to deliver that one. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. Remember, either in this life or in eternity, you will be delivered. Either way, and if you get delivered in this life, it's he who did it. Because the, the fruit of this relationship that we can have with him, uh, of a longing relationship of closeness, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Promises from God. Deliverance, protection, uh, answering, a presence in trouble, rescue, honor, satisfaction, showing salvation. That's all promises from the Lord for those who walk closely with him, particularly in this life they are realized as we lean into him and allow him to be our refuge and our fortress in the shadow of the Almighty. It's a personal call available to each of us. Now, you have to ask yourselves, where am I in regard to these things? Is Jesus kind of an add-on to my daily life? Um, is he, am I really where I need to be? Uh, or is it, is it, am I needing to do better? I'm not talking about performance. I'm talking about relationship. Am I, and do I need to be better? The Bible teaches us in many places, Psalm 119, for example, Psalm 19, that you can do more as you become more. You need to become more than you are in order to do more than you do. Become more than you are in order to do more than you do. Allow yourself to be empowered by God to be closer to him, to be a great man or a great, great woman of God. And this isn't just about adults. This is about young people. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were teenagers. They were young people, and they were amazing followers of God. This is not just for the adults. This is for the young people in the room as well. The closeness, the, the, the absolute reliance and the closeness to God, it's available to us. We just need to cooperate. We just need to look to him. So I'm going to ask you some questions in closing, how you're doing with this. And maybe you'd want to ponder this in your own time uh, as points of application. Let me ask you some questions. Do you miss him when you have not spent time with him? Uh, maybe you're tired. 
busy at work, conflict at home, conflict at work, conflict with the neighbor, any number of things to be conflicting. Maybe you're, maybe you're not feeling well. Whatever the reasons might be, God says, look, despite that, I need you to, I want you to be close to me. I need you to hear from me in your trouble. Do you miss him when you fail to lean into him? In the word, in contemplation of who he is and his character and his greatness, his almighty power and his personhood? Do you miss that when you don't do it? Do you enjoy talking about him? Do you enjoy talking about the Lord who saved you, the Lord who loves you, who he is, uh, what he has done, what he's like? Do you enjoy it? Or are you just not willing or it's kind of a pain in the neck for you to think about doing that? This is, again, these are measuring sticks to ask yourself, how am I doing in my relationship with the Lord? Do I miss him when I have not spoken with him or lean into him through his word in prayer or meditation? Do you enjoy talking about him and who he is and what he's done, the greatness of our God, his attributes? Do you desire to please him? Is pleasing him the pinnacle of what you want? Is pleasing him the pinnacle of what you want? Or... Is pleasing him kind of there, but you know what? If I get pressed, I'm going to do what I want. I know what the word says. I know what I'm supposed to do. Uh, but you know, if I get pressed, I think I'll just do what I want. But if you realize that God wants you to do something else, something here, something there, speak here, don't speak there, he wants something from you, do you seek to please him before others? I'm not talking about despising others. That's not it but he is the most important person to please. Does that register with you? Do you enjoy spending time with God's people? Do you like God's people? Do you enjoy spending time with God's people and talking about the Lord or serving one another, helping one another, being with one another? Does that please you? Does that, does that give you a joy? Because, you know, um, Jesus likes it. I always think when I'm thinking about what we should do, whether I'm working with one of our churches or talking to our pastors and we think about what should be done and what shouldn't be done, I, I always try to think, and I don't do this really well sometimes, I'm not saying that, but the standard is, does he like it? Does the Lord, does the Lord want us to do this? If I were to say, and, and if the Lord uh, appeared, and if, if I faced him today at the judgment seat and he looked at this, would he say, I'm glad you did that because you thought you would please me? See, the question is, does he want this? Does he like it? Is he pleased with this? Is he pleased with that? Does he like it? And if he likes it, well, I'm sorry you don't like it, sir or ma'am, but we are convinced, I am convinced in my life, the Lord likes it, and so therefore I'm going to do it, or I'm not going to do it, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego demonstrated. We're not worshiping, and you can do whatever you want with us, and he will deliver us, but you know what? Even if he doesn't, we're still not going to do it. These are teenagers. I said that before, but that's true. Do you serve Jesus? Do you seek to serve Jesus? Do you seek to, to, to please him by serving other people? In this church or um, at home, even in the workplace with a bunch of people who don't probably even know him. Do you seek to serve other people? Because you know what? Jesus is pleased with that. It's going on your spiritual resume. Do you seek to serve Jesus to use your spiritual gifts, for example, in this church? Ephesians 4 talks about the spiritual gifts. It's not the only discussion uh, in the scriptures of how the church is to function. Um, but the gifts are given by God to each one of you, if you know Jesus. No one's ungifted. Everyone has gifts. For what? 
for the, for the edification of the saints and for the building up of his church. The edification of us together and the building up of his church to strengthen the church for good. Are you willing to endure pain in order to become more than you are? Oh, boy. Or do you run out from under the pain? Um, 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. If you're under pressure today, there's a purpose for the pressure. There's a purpose for the pressure, and, and, and Peter, the Holy Spirit, speaking through Peter, says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. There's pressure. There's pressure on your life, and you don't like it. The temptation is to run out and say, I don't like the pressure, I don't like the pain, I don't like it, I'm not doing this, I'm not going to do this forever, God. You know, you got to get rid of this for me, you got to do this for me, and God says, I don't have to do anything. I'm not interested in your comfort, I'm interested in your closeness to me. I'm interested in you being like Jesus. I'm interested in your perfection, I'm not interested in your comfort. Of course he wants us to be pleased and joyous, but his primary concern is our godliness and our character. So don't run out from under the hand of God of pressure. Don't run out from the pressure. Let him shape you like clay into what he wants you to be. So humble yourself and endure it because you can as you lean into him. You will gain strength in that relationship. So how are you doing in your walk I think those are pretty objective measurements. And if you, if you could take some time at some point in your day or maybe tonight before you hit the, hit the pillow and get ready for another Monday. Monday's coming. Work, school, relationships, difficulties, problems, joys, relationships that are good. How's your walk with Jesus and where do I need to grow and lean into my relationship with him? Let's pray. Father, it is just a thrill to think about your promises from Psalm 91, your goodness, your awesomeness, your power. And Lord, I'm so glad that you decide to listen to us. You are, I guess, you are so big that you even are willing to listen to the prayer of us, each of us, and if we would only learn how to live with you, how to walk with you, Lord, you promise us great pleasure. Our greatest comfort, our greatest joy comes in a close relationship with you. And Lord, I pray we would gather that today and that we would please you and we take away from this time today with tools that will help us know and equip us to walk closely with you in love. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Carrie Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.